Hi, my name is Ivor Drake and I'm a solicitor in the commercial technology team at Kemp Little. And my name's Ed Baker and I'm also a solicitor in the commercial technology team at Kemp Little. This podcast should last 15 minutes and summarises and discusses 1. The enforceability of contract liability terms in the context of technology cases and 2. The statutory framework governing liability and exclusion clauses as it applies to business-to-business contracts under the Unfair Contract Terms Act 1977, which is commonly known as UCTA. There have been a number of high-profile technology cases relating to the enforceability of contract liability terms, which in large part reflect the complexity, value and increasingly strategic importance of technology projects. Yes, the recent high-profile case between EDS and B-Sky-B involving a £700 million claim for the failed implementation of a new customer relationship management system is a stark reminder of what's at stake when a large technology project fails. So I was going to kick things off by running through the main features of UCTA. Under UCTA, terms which exclude or restrict liability for other loss or damage caused by negligence are enforceable only to the extent that they satisfy the UCTA requirement of reasonableness. UCTA ensures that terms which seek to allow a supplier to limit or exclude liability for a contract breach, render a performance substantially different to that which was reasonably expected of it, or render no performance at all, are enforceable only to the extent that they satisfy the requirement of reasonableness under UCTA. A contract term which is subject to the requirement of reasonableness must be a fair and reasonable one to be included having regard to the circumstances which were, or ought reasonably to have been known to, or in the contemplation of the parties when the contract was made. UCTA sets out a non-exhaustive list of factors to be taken into account in assessing whether or not a term satisfies the requirement of reasonableness and the UK courts have shown that they will take these factors into account when considering the reasonableness of any terms which restrict or exclude liability. It is also clear from case law that the courts will frequently exercise this discretion to consider other factors including most notably the extent to which a supplier has oversold or misrepresented its ability to meet the customer's requirements when assessing the reasonableness of the contract's liability provisions. Ed will now provide an example of some factors which suggest the reasonableness or otherwise of a contract term. Yes, the factors set out by UCTA to determine the reasonableness of a contractual term includes 1. The relative strength of the party's bargaining positions. 2. Whether the customer received an inducement to agree to the term in question or whether the customer had the opportunity of entering into a contract with other persons without having to accept a similar term. 3. Whether the customer knew or ought to have known of the existence of the term. 4. Where the term excludes or restricts liability if some condition is not met, whether it was reasonable at the time of the contract to expect that compliance with that condition would be practicable. And 5. Whether the goods were manufactured, processed or adapted to the special order of the customer. In addition, where liability caps and other contract provisions which limit the supplier's liability to a specific amount, the courts will take into account a. the available resources which the person seeking to rely on the limitation has or could expect to have if the liability should arise, and b. how far it was open to that person to cover themselves by insurance. It should be noted that the approach the courts have taken to enforcing liability clauses has actually changed over recent years. 
The court's approach changed in the 90s and the early part of the 2000s and can broadly be described as interventionist and pro-customer. For example, in the landmark St Albans and ICL case, in addition to the unequal bargaining positions of the parties, one of the key factors in the court finding a liability cap of £100,000 to be unreasonable was the fact that ICL had in place product liability insurance of £50 million and was therefore in a much better position to bear the risk than the council, who would have had to recover the loss from the local population through increased taxation. In the court's view, ICL had provided no evidence to show that the £100,000 cap was fair and reasonable, given the level of insurance that was available to it. The St Albans case was followed a couple of years later by another case involving ICL. This case was between Southwest Water and ICL and involved a contract for the supply of a customer information and billing system. ICL's solution was based on a third-party product owned by Customer International. ICL's ability to deliver a system which would meet Southwest Water's requirements was dependent upon ICL entering into a back-to-back -back contract with Customer International. Customer International considered the contract timetable which ICL was intending to sign up to with Southwest Water to be unrealistic and so refused to enter into a back-to-back -back contract with ICL. ICL nevertheless gave an assurance to Southwest Water that it would be entering into a back-to-back -back contract with Customer International. And therefore, on the basis of that assurance, Southwest Water awarded the contract to ICL. The project failed, and after several extensions, Southwest Water terminated the contract and brought a claim against ICL for breach of contract and misrepresentation. ICL sought to rely on the limitations and exclusions in the contract. However, the court held that the limitations were unreasonable under UCTA. Firstly, the 250,000 liability cap bore no relation to the total contract value. Secondly, the manifest unreasonableness of the contract terms meant that Southwest Water was in a worse situation where ICL failed to deliver anything under the contract, since ICL's liability in those circumstances was limited to £250,000, than it would have been had ICL delivered a system which failed acceptance testing, where ICL's liability was limited to the contract value. Thirdly, the reckless pre-contract misrepresentation which ICL had made about entering into a back-to-back -back contract with Customer International. Relying on earlier cases, the court rejected ICL's argument that the pre-contract representation was excluded by the entire agreement clause, on the grounds that because it failed to distinguish between innocent, negligent and fraudulent misrepresentation, it impliedly sought to exclude liability for all forms of misrepresentation including fraud, and therefore it was unenforceable. There are other cases relating to the enforceability of limitation and exclusion clauses which don't involve ICL. Pegler and Wang, a case from 2000, is arguably the high watermark for cases demonstrating the interventionist approach. This case involved a contract for the supply of an integrated computer system and related services. The project suffered serious problems right from the start, and the court described Wang's performance under the contract as disastrous. Wang did not deny that it was in breach, and instead sought to rely on a number of exclusions and limitations in the contract. However, the court held that Wang could not rely on these exclusions in these circumstances for the following reasons. Firstly, because the exclusions specifically referred to the loss arising out of the supply, functioning or use of the system, the court took the view that it applied only after the system had been supplied. It did not apply to a failure to deliver the system in the first place. And secondly, 
Because loss of anticipated profits had been included as an example of indirect and consequential loss, the clause did not exclude liability for direct loss of profits. It is now well established that loss of profits and other forms of economic loss can be, and in many cases are, direct losses under English law. The court's interventionist approach had led many suppliers to question whether it would ever be possible in practice to limit their liability in relation to failed technology projects. It also led to a change attack by customers in the negotiation of technology contracts. Rather than an attempt to negotiate exclusions and limitations which reflected a reasonable allocation of risk, many customers accepted whatever terms were put forward by suppliers on the basis that if the contract were ever litigated upon, the exclusions and limitations would, in all likelihood, be held to be unenforceable by the courts. Since Pegler and Wang, the UK courts are now much less willing than before to intervene in commercial contracts, particularly those in which the parties are of equal bargaining power, and suggest that the customer practice of accepting whatever limitations and exclusions that are put forward by suppliers on the grounds that they can later be challenged as being unreasonable and therefore unenforceable under ACTA, is now a dangerous one. Subsequent cases, such as the Court of Appeals' decision in Watford and Sanderson, which Ed will explain in a moment, indicated a marked change in the Court's approach to enforcing limitations and exclusions, with the Court showing a much greater reluctance to intervene in agreements reached between experienced commercial organisations. The Watford and Sanderson case involved a contract for the supply of a mail-order processing and database marketing system for use by the customer in its computer mail-order business. The system delivered by the supplier failed to meet the customer's requirements and, after several unsuccessful attempts by the parties to resolve the problems, the customer terminated the contract and brought a claim for breach of contract and misrepresentation. The supplier sought to rely on contract terms which excluded its liability for indirect and consequential loss and limit its liability for other losses to the contract price. The contract also contained an entire agreement clause by which the parties acknowledged they had not relied on any statement or representations that were not set out in the contract. At first instance, the exclusion was found to fail the UCTA reasonable test in part on the grounds that the entire agreement clause excluded liability for pre-contractual misrepresentations. The supplier appealed and the Court of Appeal overturned the earlier decision, finding the exclusion to be reasonable. This was because, firstly, the earlier judge was wrong to assume the entire agreement clause had excluded negligent pre-contractual misrepresentations. The entire agreement clause had been drafted as an acknowledgement by the parties that they had not relied on any pre-contractual representations rather than a blanket exclusion and therefore was not subject to the UCTA reasonable test. Second, the customer had managed to negotiate an amendment to the contract requiring Sanderson to use best endeavours to minimise any losses that may arise from a contract breach. The judge at first instance was wrong to just dismiss this amendment as immaterial. Its inclusion meant that the supplier could not rely on the exclusion unless it had met this best endeavours obligation. Thirdly, the customer had similar liability provisions in its own standard terms, which meant that the customer understood the effect of the clause and the commercial rationale for its inclusion. And finally, in deciding it should not intervene in the case, the Court of Appeal emphasised the fact that the parties were two grown-up organisations of similar bargaining power was an important factor. The judgments in the recent cases of B-Sky B and EDS, and also Kingsway and Red Sky, demonstrate the UK court's continued willingness to intervene to negative liability caps and exclusions in cases where the supplier is found to have deliberately missold or oversold its technology solution and or its ability to meet the customer's requirements.
In 2000, EDS won a £48 million contract to provide B-Sky-B with a new customer relationship management system, which had an initial go-live date of 12 months after contract signature. The project suffered major difficulties and delays and was eventually completed by B-Sky-B in 2006 at a cost in the region of £265 million. The contract included a term seeking to cap EDS's liability at £35 million. Despite this, B-Sky-B bought a claim for damages in excess of £700 million for additional implementation costs, wasted management time and loss of anticipated savings. In contrast with earlier cases involving technology disputes, B-Sky-B did not seek to negate the effectiveness of the liability cap by challenging it under the up to reasonableness test, but instead relied on the following arguments. Firstly, B-Sky-B claimed that EDS had fraudulently misrepresented its ability to deliver the project on time and to budget by committing to timescales on a contract price when it had no grounds for believing that the timescales or price were achievable. Secondly, B-Sky-B claimed that the parent companies of each of the parties to the contract had been involved in the tender process, that representations as to EDS's ability to meet timescales and price were made by and to those parent companies who, as non-contracting entities, were not subject to the liability caps and the exclusions in the contract. EDS denied most of the alleged misrepresentations. It admitted to some, but argued they were not fraudulent and therefore excluded by the entire agreement clause in the contract. However, the court held that, because of the way the entire agreement clause was worded, its effect was merely to prevent pre-contract representations from having contractual effect. It did not prevent the parties from bringing non-contractual claims for pre-contract misrepresentations under the Misrepresentation Act 1967. If the parties had intended to withdraw representations for all purposes, the entire agreement clause should have referred to the fact that, in entering into the contract, the parties were not relying on any pre-contract representations. In any event, the entire agreement clause did not exclude liability for negligent misrepresentation. Relying on earlier case law, the court held that if a party intended to exclude liability for negligence, it should not be mealy-mouthed about it. And if the parties intended an entire agreement clause to exclude liability for negligent misstatements, the entire agreement clause will need to refer expressly to negligence in the same way as other terms limiting or excluding liability should. EDS had fraudulently misrepresented its ability to meet B-Sky-B's required timescales. EDS had given repeated assurance that it would be able to meet these timescales without having any reasonable grounds for believing those assurances to be true. In particular, it had stated repeatedly its ability to meet the timescales required by B-Sky-B within B-Sky-B's budget without working out what resources would be needed in order to do so. In the court's view, Mr Galloway, who is a key EDS witness, proffered timescales which he thought were those which B-Sky-B desired, without having a reasonable basis for doing so. He knew that no proper analysis of time had been carried out, and he knew that he had no basis for saying that the timescales could be achieved. In the court's view, his conduct went beyond carelessness or gross carelessness and was dishonest. Didn't a clever canine feature in this case? Yes, Ed. EDS's case was severely undermined by the fact that Mr Galloway had perjured himself while giving evidence. In the course of establishing his credentials, Mr Galloway, a key EDS witness, claimed that he had obtained an MBA from a college in the British Virgin Islands, but it emerged that it had been obtained from the internet, a point illustrated by B-Sky-B's barrister Mark Howard QC, presenting the court with an MBA from the same college awarded to his dog, Lulu, 
which had roughly better marks than those obtained by Mr Galloway. The EDS case acts as a stark reminder of the dangers of deliberate or reckless oversell by suppliers' sales staff during the tender process in order to win a contract, and also the need for robust internal risk review processes during any tender processes. A further example of supplier oversell occurred in the recent case between Kingsway Hall Hotel Limited, who operate a chain of hotels, and Red Sky IT Hounslow Limited, who supplies software and related services for hotel front and back office reservations and also point of sale systems. Kingsway licensed the entirety software package from Red Sky on Red Sky's standard terms and conditions, however the software proved to be particularly unsuitable in relation to group bookings. Kingsway asked Red Sky to resolve the problems, but Red Sky failed to do so. Kingsway sought to reject the software and claimed damages, alleging the software was neither of satisfactory quality nor fit for purpose. Red Sky argued that certain clauses of its standard terms applied to exclude the terms as to satisfactory quality and also to fitness for purpose implied by the Sales of Goods Act 1979 and also the Supply of Goods and Services Act 1982. Red Sky claimed the exclusion satisfied the reasonableness test because the software package was an off-the-shelf package, not a customised package, which Kingsway bought after Red Sky demonstrated the product to its employees. Red Sky said that Kingsway had not trained its staff properly in using the system and so the problems related to incorrect usage, not the software itself. Kingsway argued that the exclusions could have applied if it had been supplied with the operating documents referred to in Red Sky's terms, which had not actually been provided. The court considered that it might be reasonable for the supplier to exclude the implied terms as to satisfactory quality and fitness for a particular purpose, where the customer has the means to satisfy itself as to such quality and fitness for purpose, and does not rely on the advice of Red Sky. As this was not the case, Kingsway was entitled to reject the software and claim damages. Clearly, there was a disconnect between the manner in which Red Sky had sold the software to Kingsway and the basis on which Red Sky's standard terms were drafted, and this was a key factor in the court's conclusions. Where a supplier wishes to exclude the statutory implied terms of fitness for purpose and satisfactory quality, it is essential that they provide customers with an opportunity to evaluate the suitability of the solution in the form of the operating manuals and ideally demonstrations in a live environment similar to that of the customer. There's been a recent case reflecting on the distinction between direct and indirect loss and I was going to run through that. Yes, the case involved GB Gas Holdings Limited, a subsidiary of Centrica PLC, and also Accenture PLC. It serves as a useful reminder of the need to specifically spell out any heads of loss for which the supplier disclaims liability, rather than rely on a blanket exclusion of indirect and consequential losses. The agreement was for the design, supply, installation and maintenance of a new IT system, including an automated billing system. In June 2006, Centrica began to experience substantial problems with the newly released billing system, which led to customer accounts going unbilled and a decreasing level of customer satisfaction. Centrica estimated that approximately 770,000 more customers left Centrica than would have done due to the problems with the billing system. Centrica issued proceedings against Accenture, alleging that errors in the billing system amounted to fundamental breaches of warranty and either individually or in combination caused a severe adverse effect on the British gas business, 
which constituted a fundamental defect. Accenture contended that the individual breaches of warranty asserted by Centrica could not be aggregated for the purposes of establishing a fundamental breach. The court disagreed and concluded that a fundamental breach of warranty could be constituted by individual breaches of warranty and that the effect of such individual breaches could be accumulated for the purposes of determining whether there was a severe adverse effect on Centrica. In considering whether the losses claimed by Centrica were excluded by the exclusion of indirect and consequential loss clause, the court followed the two-limb rule laid out in Hadley and Baxendale. Under this two-limb rule, direct loss is a loss that arises naturally, i.e. according to the usual course of things from the breach. An indirect loss is other loss that may reasonably have been supposed to be in the contemplation of both parties at the time they made the contract and as a probable consequence of the breach of it. The heads of loss claimed by Centrica included, firstly, gas distribution charges. Due to the faults in the billing system, gas distributors charged Centrica based on an overestimation of Centrica's customers' consumption of gas. The court ruled that this was a direct loss as it was considered a claim for charges that would not have otherwise been paid, and not, as Accenture contended, a claim for loss of revenue. Secondly, compensation paid to customers. Centrica alleged that due to the reputational damage suffered by the company, it paid £8 million in compensation to customers due to the billing problems and poor customer service it received. On the basis that the primary aim of installing the billing system had been to improve customer service, Mr Justice Field determined that this loss was also a direct loss and recoverable loss. Thirdly, additional borrowing charges. Centrica also claimed £2 million in additional borrowing charges. It was forced to incur due to the reduction in revenue it experienced because of the non-billing or late billing of customers. The court held that this loss was also a direct loss and recoverable because of breaches of warranty that delayed issuing of bills would clearly impact on Centrica's revenue with the very likely consequence that borrowing would result. Fourthly, the cost of chasing debt not due. Centrica claimed that as a result of errors in the billing system, it chased debt from customers, which in fact was not due. Mr Justice Field ruled that such loss was not indirect or consequential, on the basis that if the alleged breaches of warranty were proved, the loss would have flowed naturally from those breaches. Fifthly, additional stationary and correspondence costs. The court also ruled that the stationary and correspondence costs incurred by Centrica in writing to customers to update them on issues that were contributing to customer call volumes were also recoverable, on the same grounds that compensation paid by Centrica to customers was recoverable. The decision in this case reinforces the fact that under English law, direct loss encompasses a wide range of losses, and that suppliers should specifically list any categories or types of loss that they wish to exclude, and not rely on blanket exclusions of indirect and consequential loss. In summary, the judgment in Watford and Sanderson is a clear indication that the courts will generally be reluctant to intervene in agreements between two experienced commercial organisations and customers and suppliers should approach the negotiation of liability clauses and other clauses relating to allocating of risks in technology contracts with this in mind. That said, the case law also demonstrates that the courts will be willing to intervene in bad facts cases where the supplier has deliberately or recklessly overstated its ability to meet the customer's requirements, whether as to functionality, timescales, price or otherwise. 
Despite this uncertainty, there are some useful lessons for supplier and customer which can be taken from the case law. Firstly, the customer tactic of accepting whatever limitations and exclusions are put forward by a supplier without any attempt to negotiate changes is now a dangerous one, as the courts will take a dim view of customers who do not attempt to negotiate an acceptable allocation of risk in the contract. Secondly, the courts will generally give effect to properly drafted entire agreement clauses, which include an acknowledgement of non-reliance. Customers should therefore ensure that any pre-contract representations made during the sales process, which they have relied on in selecting the supplier, are recorded in the contract. Thirdly, suppliers on the other hand will want to ensure that any entire agreement clauses in their standard form agreements include an acknowledgement by the parties that they have not relied on any representations not included in the contract, rather than as a blanket exclusion of any pre-contract representations. Suppliers should also ensure that the entire agreement clause and any exclusions and limitations do not expressly or impliedly exclude liability for fraudulent misrepresentations to avoid the risk of those provisions failing on a legal technicality. Suppliers should also ensure that if they intend to exclude liability for neg negligent misrepresentations, the entire agreement clause should clearly say so. And finally, where a supplier's sales staff have been guilty of deliberate oversell and the customer has relied on that oversell in selecting the supplier, there is a significant risk that the courts will look for a way in which to deprive the supplier of the benefit of contractual limitations and exclusions, where the court believes that it would be unreasonable for the supplier to rely on these. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Further information on enforceability of liability caps and exclusions can be found on our website at www.kemplittle.com. Thank you.